0: This is episode 5-1 of Free as in Freedom. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler.
1: And I'm Bradley Kuhn.
0: This is Free as in Freedom.
1: Uh, and so, uh, so what are we doing first? We're doing announcements first. We're, we always have announcements lately.
0: I guess so, because there's a lot going on.
1: Okay, well, there's announcements. So you have announcements.
0: Well, actually, did we refer to the DMCA thing yet on here?
1: Yeah, we did that.
0: Okay, did I say I did too? Yeah, you said that. Okay, no, good. Jeez. Sorry, everyone. Yeah,
1: see, Karen, facts fact of the matter is she does not listen to the show.
0: I also have a really bad memory.
1: Well, and so and so the funny part is, is that uh, uh, every podcast that I listen to, one of the hosts does not listen to the show. Like I listen to this poker. (laughs) No, seriously, I listen to a poker podcast. And in fact, one of the co-hosts was leaving and he inserted audio into the middle uh, to to, like they were trying to plan something for his Mm -hmm. leaving. And he's like, don't worry, listeners, Mike will never hear this
2: because he never <laughs> listens
1: to the show so it's, it's he does the I show doesn't listen. So, really so if i needed to do that like if, if there were if there were a secret thing i was doing like i could do that if we needed you to could do i just
0: thing. really hate listening to my voice
1: you get used to it after a while uh, it's a good way to become a better speaker too is to listen to recordings of your own talks
0: they say that that's overrated actually like a lot of public speaking experts
1: Oh, I don't. They know. They say
0: that it's much better to um, give your talk to others and get critical feedback.
1: That's true. You should do all of these things. <laughs> I noticed. See, I listened to the show, so I noticed last time that my speaking was a little bit fast. Uh, I apologize to our international listeners, in particular, if my my I was faster than usual on our last show.
0: We're New Yorkers.
1: No, I was faster than usual because okay. I listened to it every episode. I listened to the audio, and I was fa- I found myself to be faster than I usually am. Okay last time and there were a lot of those jumps Those jump cuts things. Mm. I mean, you sound like a freaking French New Wave film. (laughs) (laughs) with All these jump cuts in the last show. So I'm doing, I exited X windows entirely because I think that there was something going on or something running under uh, when I'm running X. So I'm just doing this on the straight command line, like a virtual terminal.
0: I guess we'll see if it's better.
1: And I think, well, I can see on the screen when there's a thing that gives a little overrun It does, yeah. And has not given one yet. So we're, uh, we're sounding pretty good, I think. Excellent. Sounded pretty good. So, Karen, we are going to do some fundraising. Yep. And we're not just fundraising. We ask people to donate to Conservancy because that's where both of us work. I know
0: you're probably a listener. You might be tired of us talking about fundraising. But But this one's a little different. This is
1: a very special fundraiser. Very special. And the reason it's special is because a long time ago, Karen and I used to do a different Oggcast. Uh, 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 it
0: was pretty much the same Oggcast. No, it wasn't. It was. It, it just had a different title it had a different and title was hosted and in it a different place. A, it had, it but the a, content and the style was exactly the same.
1: Not exactly. But anyway, it, it had a patron. Uh, and uh, the patron would occasionally fund it. Uh, and the one thing that we lost when we went out on our own and did our own thing... <laughs> Was that we didn't have any funding. And generally speaking, Conservancy doesn't fund our time. I do this as a volunteer and Conservancy is not giving us resources and so forth. Technically, Conservancy bought the microphone we're using, but I use it for other Conservancy work as well. But generally speaking, Conservancy doesn't usually fund. Anything with regard to this, but we no. realized. Uh, Although we, it's
0: hard to it's hard to make it not somewhat. I mean, it's somewhat of a conservancy podcast since we both are work for conservancy. These
1: days, we both it work is. in conservancy. Yeah, you used to work at Gann, but now you work at conservancy. So we both work for conservancy, and so it, it is a conservancy activity. Um, but we we, we, but gen- we haven't
0: we haven't used any conservancy resources for it.
1: But we would like to do that, and what we want to do yeah. is we want to launch a special fundraiser through conservancy, and so you can don't your donations will be donations to conservancy. Um, but uh, you know. Conservancy is all about this, doing earmarks for donations, and we, we'll take donations for specific purposes. And the specific purpose we want to raise money for is we want to send Dan Lynch, our Intrepid producer who does all the editing work for all our shows and has been doing it for years and years to a free software conference of his choice to uh, to attend, of course, and be participant in the in the conference uh, in the usual free software volunteer way, but also to be able to record interviews and do other sorts of things at the conference uh, for for both this show and and other the other podcast. I
0: have a show. I'm pretty confident without Dan.
1: Yeah, and this and this show has done so much work to educate people about the issues the conservancy works on and um, and Linux Outlaws, uh, which is Dan's uh, other show with with fab has done a lot of work um and uh, and and so it's and and the thing is is that dan dan has not been able to travel to a free software conference in a long time other than the one he helps organize in the uk uh the aug camp that he helps organize every year but as far as going to one somewhere else in europe or the states it's been a long time since he's been able to do that and so uh we thought about surprising him uh, in the end we have this problem <laughs> of, i would have had to do the editing to surprise him with this like nobody he, wants that yeah, so I would have, well I could have done it. I could have I know how to insert stuff with Audacity and stuff. So I could have inserted the final outcome and added a little piece that Dan wouldn't hear. In fact, I poker podcast I listened to recently did that, where the one of the co hosts was leaving, and then they, the guy, of course, it wasn't the producer, so they were able to edit it. Right, right. Um, so uh, so Dan's Dan knows this is happening because he found out when we sent him this audio. Um, but we really like people. There's going to be a URL uh, in the show notes uh, that you can donate. Um, I haven't figured exactly where I'm going to put it on the website yet, um, but. Uh, It'll be on Conservancy's website and a link in the show notes. And we'd like you to go there uh, to faf.us, and there'll be a big uh, donate button on the main page for funding this. And uh, anything beyond Dan's travel expenses, of course, we'll have to follow Conservancy's travel policy because uh, it'll be funded <laughs> by Conservancy's travel. And anything we raise beyond that, of course, will go to just support Conservancy generally. Uh, yeah. But uh, but we do we we hope we can raise. We figure we probably have to raise about. About 2500 I think. I is think so. Probably, especially if he wants to go to our conference in the U.S. because he's coming from the U.K. And if it ends up being a flight in the summer, the summer flights are usually this like. stuff
0: adds up. It's, it's very it's expensive. It's like 1400
1: bucks to go f- across the yeah. Atlantic. and
0: then hotels are expensive. And, right. So we yeah. want to fund
1: basically just flight, hotel. And we'll link to Conservancy's travel policy so you'll know what he'll be allowed to do because he'll be allowed to do <laughs> what's in the Conservancy's travel policy. And so we, we, we just want to do this for Dan because uh, it's, it's an opportunity Uh, Really that he hasn't had in a long time and and he should be rewarded something for
0: for doing this He's done. This as a volunteer for so long for so I mean so many hours. So help us donate to thank Dan So I the announcements I think I'm trying to struggle to think about what the announcement is So you want to talk
1: about the thing see the thing
0: is something I'm not making an announcement about that's true, right? And there was a
1: thing that happened.
0: There's a thing that happened. It was a thing and we did some stuff
1: well, are you're you allowed to talk about it any more than that. Yeah, well,
0: so well, so what I can say is that, um, is that you you listeners may have heard that there was a situation with a company called Groupon that they published a uh, or that they launched a product with uh, the name Gnome spelled G N O M E, and um, I can certainly recap what has been in the public already, which is simply that and the the statement that the Gnome Foundation made on its website, and I have to be a little bit coy about it. Because, well, I am on Gnome's board of directors, and I'm also pro bono counsel to Gnome. And so I have certain obligations. And also it's a matter that's in discussion and that's in negotiation. And so you don't want to... um, Basically, you don't want to jump the gun. You don't want to say Uh, anything.
1: If that's the case, then I'll just explain it because I'm none of those things. (laughs) Um, And I can say anything I want about this situation. Okay, well,
0: we can both recap what's been in the public. Well,
1: I'll do it. That way you don't have to walk the line uh, because I have no lines I have to walk. I'm I'm a member of the Gnome Foundation, but I'm otherwise not involved uh, with Gnome. So it's pretty easy for me to say that basically what happened was is uh, the Groupon people were completely disingenuous. They named their product. They claimed publicly that they had not... um, they, they just didn't know that the GNOME project existed and that it had a trademark, which I, I said in my blog that, that, that I've done trademark work with member projects of Conservancy and I even search the trademark database, even though our council obviously does when they're doing the trademark filings. It is so easy to search the trademark database. Their search engine isn't great, but it's really straightforward, and you can just type in a word, and it tells you what the live trademarks are for it. And so the idea that no one at Groupon ever did that, ever, on GNOME, even though they were launching a major product based, uh, a major cashier point of sale system product that looks like a desktop machine, um, uh, that had that name. It's, it's pretty ludicrous to think that they actually never knew. Uh, and that's what they said.
0: Uh, and they also filed, I mean... Right, and, and they filed trademarks. A right. lot of trademarks, not like well, and, and not like thing, one or two. The thing that
1: was in the original GNOME announcement, which I think is actually off the GNOME website, but I made sure it was in archive.org, so it's in archive.org, uh, and I can link to it in the show notes, uh, as is GNOME, uh, Groupon's first statement about GNOME and so forth, um, and that's I'll put that on the show notes along with the blog post I wrote about this. They, they, they basically... Um, they they refused to change the name and Gnome foundation had to go public uh, to convince them to change the name and stop taking gnome's name from it
0: well actually it was a fundraising campaign to raise the legal fees that it would would be necessary in order to um, fight or you know file fight with the trademark office the um, file basically opposition's to the marks uh, and it was just basically the amounts that were um, quoted by uh, by gnome's counsel and um, you know, the, the, the whole thing was that basically um, December 3rd was a deadline that the GNOME Foundation was operating against because uh, that was a, a deadline to file oppositions. And so while um, GNOME wasn't getting any traction, so this is where I have to be really careful, it wasn't getting any traction with Groupon, um, they went ahead, and I, this, I, this I actually said in a tweet, so... Yeah. Um, that, uh, that they went ahead and filed 10 more marks without even notifying the GNOME Foundation.
1: But that um, and that was during, according to the Gnome Foundation statement, uh, that was during the time when the Gnome Foundation was negotiating with them to try and resolve the situation or attempting to, yeah. And I think I think that that's uh, that's really it, it's it shows it shows how kind of sneaky these companies can be, uh, and I said in my blog so, post about uh,
0: yeah. So Bradley wrote a blog post about it, and I guess I, I don't want to get too in depth in this. I'm hoping that we can have a full on show, okay, um, pretty soon. About this, um, the what I can say also is that as where it stands now is within about a day, uh, the GNOME Foundation supporters donated over hundred thousand dollars, which was amazing, and that Groupon officially abandoned all twenty-eight of their marks within that time. So, um, so already that's um, that's some result, and that we can talk about that. So, uh, so yeah. So we'll we'll talk more about all of this stuff. And the reason why it is um, it's worth talking about now is in part to let you know that it happened. You can take a look if you want, um, and to tell you we'll talk about it in greater depth. But also because there was uh, help from uh, Pam Chestick, who did uh, pro bono legal work as a as a trademark expert for the GNOME Foundation.
1: And so we thought that would be a good moment for us to. Play and talk about Pam Chestick's talk from Fosdem back in 2014. So this is yet another show with some audio from the 2014 Fosdem, and we're picking out just a few of those uh, those uh, talks to play on the show and discuss. So I think that people should listen to this one. It was a pretty good one uh, from the from the uh, uh, from that track uh, in 2014, the legal and policy issues dev room. Uh, at FOSDOM 2014 and this is Pam Chestick giving her talk uh, which uh, actually scroll see I did this again it scrolled off the screen what uh, oh uh, why require so the talk is why requiring use of trademarks are non-free
0: and again Pam I'm sorry
1: why licensing requires use of trademarks are non-free
0: Pam is really fantastic, I hope you enjoy her talk.
1: And listen, if you want to go and watch the video, which is also online, listen during the music for Dan to tell you where to uh, fast forward to, to hear our comments after Pam's talk, and you could go and watch the video online, but we're gonna include the audio in here as well.
3: To Skip this talk audio and head straight to Karen and Bradley's comments, go to 60 minutes and 36 seconds. That's 60 minutes, 36 seconds.
0: Extremely excited to introduce <laughs> Pam Chestek. Um, the first time we I, I met Pam uh, was by phone, and we talked for like an hour um, in a detailed trademark analysis where we had the same legal analysis and entirely different conclusions. Um, so she's a lawyer that I respect deeply, and I'm very excited to introduce her to you. Well, thank you. And, and I'll <laughs> and, and I'll say the re- the
4: reason the reason we had um, the same legal analysis and di- different conclusions was. She was working for a nonprofit and I was working for a commercial company and it strictly came down to how much risk are you willing to take. And representing a company that had a commercial interest that could be sued um, changed the analysis. So I thought I, I, it was a really interesting it, Yeah, it was a great conversation just to, because it really helps you understand sort of what you know what the levers are in your decision making and you, and it's never just a pure legal analysis. So anyway, um, to, and, and that company was Red Hat, um, which where I was a trademark lawyer for Red Hat for about four years. I've left Red Hat and uh, have my own practice now. I stayed in Raleigh, North Carolina, have my own practices. Um, basically, trademark lawyer, copyright lawyer, marketing, that kind of stuff. So um, so what I, wanted, what I wanted to talk about today was that my, the title is Why Licenses Requiring the Use of Trademarks are Non-Free, which is a really wordy way of saying... Um, badgeware licenses, but I didn't want to use the word badgeware because I think that has um, a suggestion of a particular di- period of time and development, and actually this is um, something that's, ha- that's still going on. So as I said, I'm in, I'm in North Carolina. Um, so this is, this is my argument, which is a license that requires the use of a trademark for modified, or requires requires the use of a trademark for modified software impairs the right to modify the functionality and therefore is non-free. So I I think that these licenses are fundamentally flawed. They are not free licenses. So just to kind of go into um, that little background, from a branding perspective, I think it's a really stupid idea and that's generally where I come from as a branding perspective. As a trademark lawyer, You know, I'm about the brand. If you you take a if you took to any kind of um, traditional company and said, here, take my product, change it any way you you want, and you can still call it that, (laughs) like they'd look at you, and and, right on top of it, you must still, not only can you, but you must still call it that, they would look at you like you're crazy. So from a branding perspective, it's just an insane thing, but I'm not here to talk about it from a branding perspective. I'm here to talk about it from um, whether or not it's free software altogether. So Um, Just to kind of give you a little background, the original badge wear licenses, um, these, and, and I'm talking here about, this is an approved license. FSF lists this as a free software license. The standard is you must retain and reproduce any and all, copyright patent, trademark notices. This includes trademarks or logos. So this was Um, you know people who are more familiar with the history than I am uh, you know this was controversial at the time there was a lot of sort of hubbub about whether or not these are free licenses for various reasons one of the reasons given was um, because a lot of times these licenses had very specific sort of descriptions of the graphical display that you were supposed to have and had to be a certain number of pixels and questions were well that militates that I have to have a graphical interface and if I don't have that then what you know and so um, so these licenses have tried to address those other problems that arose but, but as far as I'm concerned that hasn't solved the fundamental problem so this is one, the Zimmer public license now version 1.4 uh, FSF said version 1.3 was a free license.
2: But they haven't
4: said 1.4 is? I, I couldn't find it on the list, I just assumed it was a matter of administrative bookkeeping that either nobody asked or just wasn't updated. So I didn't consider it to be um, a disagreement with one, it's languages in both, it's the same language in both, um, but it's but it's 1.4. Then, uh, so then we have the Common Public Attribution License, which was this effort to solve this badgeware problem. Was to come up with this license. Um, this was approved both by the OSI and as and is listed by the Free Software Foundation as a free software license. Again, a requirement for a prominent display of the original developer's attribution information, as defined below, must occur. And then this is this is the 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 nib of the the nub of the problem. Um, the attribution information, the part that I've cut out, does include you know name of the author or some other stuff but one of the lines is graphic image as provided in the covered code if any, i.e. a logo. Um, so this again approved, approved license. So these are all several years old but it's still coming up. Um, just you know a few weeks ago on the OSI list, OSI license list there was a, there was discussion of the Bean Books public license, where again this um, this provision appeared. This license had other problems that I think that got it rejected. But yeah,
1: it was never, it never actually submitted. And Fontana, and I convinced them to stop calling it an open source license.
5: We
4: had to call it that. good work. But anyway, but no, but but point point being point being that this is still and and um uh, I had a conversation uh, with Mateus yesterday at lunch, and I have personal experience. Um, the desire to have this is, still runs very deep. People want this in their licenses. So even though it may feel like it's old news, it's not, it's still happening. So it's still being requested. Um, FSF accommodation, and, and I leave I, I will stand corrected for those who know better than me who, who feel that I, if I feel I've misrepresenting anything I've said here. So under the GPLV3, again, as part of the sort of this how do we co- accommodate this, GPL v3, as Richard mentioned in his last talk, um, the additional terms provision in GPL v3 has, uh, you can supplement the terms of license, requiring preservation of specified reasonable um, legal notices or author attributions, or um, capital A, capital L, capital uh, and appropriate legal notices, which are defined as copyright notice, no war, uh, statement that there's no warranty, um, licensees may convey, a work under this license and how to view a copy of the license. So let me just um, go back and point out two things here. What I kind of call that here, um, they're, they're characterizing this as attribution information and, that, and that's the term that's also used um, in the GPL v3, right, is author attribution. That's a very important, very important concept um, that, I wanted to, that I wanted to highlight. It, we'll get to that in just a second. So, so what it's come to? Um, so, GPLv3 had this, this, these additional was additional terms. Is that what it's called? Additional terms. Um, there's, there's a, there's a provider. I don't know, Nop Commerce, Nop Commerce. I don't know. Who, who? If you go to their website, they say that their product is licensed under um, GPLv3 with these additional terms. The additional terms are all derivative works and copies, of derivative works of the covered code. And, executable in source code form, must include on each user interface screen the powered by NopCommerce text. Must be visible, must appear in each screen, and must be in the same position in each case. So that's a pretty, uh, Richard, I, I know that Richard's personal feeling is that is so far beyond what was intended was by these by these additional terms. But nevertheless, the, the GPF v3 kind of opened the door on it. Um, well, and and I, I will say I don't think this is an open source license. I think it's deceptive to the extent they claim it is. I don't think it's gplv 3 at all, and which I think is really exemplified in this next slide. Because then if you go to their, if you go to their web page, and this I discovered when I was doing this this slide. Have you seen this, Richard? No. Oh my God. <laughs> so we have the Commerce copyright removal key. Would you like to remove the powered by Commerce link in the bottom of the in the bottom of the footer? Uh, so if, if you don't mind, if you bear with me, I'll read the whole thing because it's such tiny letters. According to the terms of the nopCommerce license, you may not capital N O T remove or hide the powered by nopCommerce statement that appears at the bottom of each page. It gets better. If you have not purchased a valid copyright notice removal license for nopCommerce, the copyright notice at the footer uh, at the foot of your store at the, in the at the footer of your store must remain intact, unedited, and clearly visible. Please don't attempt to edit, remove, or hide the copyright notice in any way. It does not give you authorization to remove any copyright notice in the script source files, nor any other rights. Copyright is illegal. Copyright infringement is illegal. Please be advised.
2: <laughs> Call it, calling that a copyright notice is...
4: Well, and so, right, thank you, thank idea. you, because that was one of my points. What do we have here? This is a... this powered by N-op Commerce. that is not a copyright notice. So they're characterizing this as a copyright notice is a complete fabrication. There's nothing about it that's a copyright notice, right? That is a trademark, if anything, <laughs> not a copyright. And it's not even-
2: I mean, there are actual legal definitions of what constitutes a valid copyright notice, right? And
4: we're, we'll get to that in a slide or two. We're getting to that. So uh, yeah, so, th- so this was kind of like, you know, once you open the door an inch, you know, people push it open a mile wide. So, so we can, so we can sit here and laugh at it. And I think we would all agree that there is nothing, there is nothing um, free about what they're trying to do here. But nevertheless, they, they kind of took the gplv 3 and leveraged it. Um, but this was, you know, clear, clear sign of their intention, right? This is not. Anyway, <laughs> I could go on about it. So. Um, so how did we get here? Um, this, is, this is kind of my theory, is that, that there's... An, an Richard, poor Richard, I'm sorry. Um, but it's in writing, so I, I, I felt like it was appropriate to cite it. Um, it's, it's a false premise to, to say that a trademark is an attribution, and that was kind of the sales pitch. And this is, this is from oh, Richard's yes. mouth. It says, I recall that RMS was convinced that an indicator of origin logo was logically equivalent to an author attribution um, and the FSF was convinced that powered by corporate logo could itself be a reasonable author mm-hmm. attribution. So that was that was kind of how we got and I don't know, Richard, if just, you just want to little, share little okay. I didn't
5: see those posts, Richard. <laughs> with, with a little history. Um, yeah, it, it was do. the famous Silicon Valley lawyer Mark Radcliffe who convinced uh, the FSF lawyers that this was you know, he had a lot of good well what we thought were good arguments. He was also representing companies. So he convinced that, you.
0: That, that That's what you're saying. saying. So wait, are you passing the buck to someone who's not in the room? <laughs> but that was part of the why do you were there is not the
4: conclusion. <laughs> the conclusion is what the text of the GPL says, which is not that. It, it, well, that's, I think that's oh, a very right. Yeah. That's that's a very good point. That's
1: why you're misquoting RMS there.
4: And, and we sure. will. Um, we're, I will get to that too. Yeah. That there is a disconnect here between yeah. what is being said here and what the GPL ended up saying. No no no, 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 no.
5: This is what RMS said.
4: Yeah. Um, and was there, and I just, and I couldn't find it, but you also just fairly recently, you fairly recently sent an email where, was it the Sugar CRM license? Who was it that actually was talking to FSF and Mark, kind of got his. Mark
5: Radcliffe and um,
4: w- w- uh, was Larry Ch- Augustine. Which license was it that, do you recall which license it was? Was it Sugar CRM or?
5: Yeah, so they originally had their own badware license, and then when GPLV3 came out, they had negotiated with the FSF to allow that, that kind of limited attribution stuff in and so they, they were the first actual commercial software to, um, to use GPLv3, and they now use AGPLv3.
4: So, so let, actually, uh, so Bradley raised a good point, which is you know, the language that's in the GPLv3 that I showed you on an earlier slide says nothing about logos, it says nothing about, it says, it says specifically legal notices and author attributions. Yeah, and right? The reason I'm
1: getting, I'm getting so upset is because the recording here from Richard is, is recollection of a negotiation that he's retelling. And it's not necessarily what the final conclusion was. That's, that's the issue. The final conclusion is what's in the license. But
0: that's, and so, yeah. That's no, t- no, t- no, it's no, not one, technically no. incorrect because it says it's the logical equivalent.
4: Right.
5: That doesn't mean it's the legal equivalent. Right, yeah. Right, no, no, right. So, so, So the FSF, <laughs> the FSF approved of SugarCRM's use of GPLv3, which included, it wasn't as extreme as some of those the later examples of the Zimbra license or whatever mm-hmm. it was, um, mm-hmm. but it, it was SugarCRM. Um, said that you had to put, you you know, you had to Power not remove sugar, powered by sugar CRM. Yeah. So so the FSF was convinced that sugar powered by sugar CRM was a legitimate form of author attribution for purposes of that.
4: Yeah, yeah. and that's, again, that, so that's the point, is that that's why I was asking about, I'm trying to recall whether it was sugar or CRM, because sugar CRM essentially got a blessing that it was okay for them, based on GPLv3, that it was okay for them to use this powered by sugar CRM. and and, but, and
5: I would just it. add that, that later on they... they Took it further and further, and the FSF I don't think monitored what they were doing, and I don't think the FSF would approve of what they were yeah. doing today. That's
4: yeah. Okay. Nice. Okay. So. Speaking as <laughs> the director of the FSF, that's up, The last statement is up. So, so I think, and and again, you know, uh, what I what I feel I feel is important here is to understand the political pressures that were playing here. Was this there was this there was this desire to have the ability to force you to force you to. Force identification of where this stuff came from. It's not understandable desire, and so there were political pressures, and that's that's kind of what came into play and what happened. So that's how we got here. Was this sort of, but but my you know but but they didn't have the value of this trademark lawyer standing in front of you today to who would have said to you. Always looking for volunteer counsel. (laughs) Was is attribution is not equal to trademark. They are not the same thing. Um, so we'll look at a couple definitions. Attribution, this is out of a law dictionary, so, uh, if you go to a regular dictionary, it's fairly close. Uh, basically, it's the right to be credited as an author, to have your name either uh, attributed uh, either with the work or uh, uh, use one's name and connection, or, or to forbid the use of a name in connection with a work one did not create.
2: Is that person, as in legal person, therefore could be company? or is it person as a natural
4: person? Gosh, you just go like so ahead (laughs) of (laughs) me. No, uh, and and I'm glad you asked that question, and maybe you can help me answer that question. So, uh, and, and I will get to that second. The first point I want to make so I don't lose track was... Um, again, author, author. The attribution right is for the author, which is not necessarily the copyright owner. So again, just to break it out a little more, mm-hmm. you know, if you work for a corporation, you may be the author. You wrote the code, but your corporation is the in the U.S. Your corporation, your employer, is the copyright owner. So your employer's name would go in the um, copyright notice, but you were the author, and you and, and so to the extent there's attribution, is you personally who had that. I, I was on Wikipedia this morning looking to see what I, I don't believe corporations as a general rule have a right of attribution. so the attribution is one of um, is a moral right which is kind of a third category or a, a, an additional category of trademark we have copyright and then moral rights are kind of a separate separate and apart from copyright more or less robust in different com- different companies not at all robust in the United States very robust in France. Which brings me to I'm not sure, I tried to figure out this morning like in the United States absolutely not there would be no moral right, because we barely recognize moral rights at all so in the United States absolutely no moral rights for a corporation I don't know about other countries I don't know whether you've run into countries where they have where companies themselves have have attribution rights anybody have op- opinions Oh good
2: okay. <laughs> if you're, if you're just thinking about it from a logical perspective which is not always the legal way yes to do it, but. Um, if, if a person has a right to be credited as a work's author, that accrues to them as goodwill and personal reputation. Yes. Um, one would have thought there was a reasonable argument that that can only accrue to.
4: Well, attributes. and I and I and I think that that's the reasonable argument that worked with you know with FSF, FSF. But but let me get to my next slide. So Sorry. so attribution, you know, to be credited uh, with as your, as an author as attribution. Sorry, can I just one
3: remark from European point of Yes, please. But in European attribution right, in European continental law, I think it's a droit moral, mm-hmm. really personal right, and you can refuse it.
4: Correct. But the question is, yeah, the question is, oh, yeah. Um, So the point was in the in European law, the droit moral, forgive my my pronunciation, um, is one that you cannot um, rid yourself of. Uh, In some countries, you can waive it, agree not to enforce it, but but it's personal and attaches to you personally. So again, I'm not sure about the, the corporate. Yeah. No, that's that's correct in terms of copyright ownership. Yeah, I'm you saying can you that statement, please? I'm sure. Um, the point was is that when your work for hire, your authorship, it actually actually doesn't transfer. It is that the corporation is the owner of the copyright from the inception, not the individual. The authorship but also, well, but what I'm I'm not sure that that's not true. I'm not sure that that's true of the moral rights which is what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I'm, that, I'm really talking about attribution here as the moral right, the moral right of attribution. Um, so, so this is what we... The, the, the moral right of attribution, which is really what we're talking about here, is that you're the, you get credit for having created the work. Um, a trademark. These are the trademark functions. This is an identified... Um, this is U.S. law is identified. These are the roles of trademark. An indication of origin, and I put an asterisk here because origin is very clear under U.S. law when we say origin we're talking about the manufacturer not the author. Um, origin does not mean authorship under US law. Um, it's a guarantee of constancy of the quality. That's kind of one that we're all, the, we all talk about that one. Is, is, like we, we as understand, We understand both of those. Uh, medium of advertisement. This is, of course is what the company who wants the badge wear provision is after. That's, what, that's the role that they're looking for is, is advertisement. Um, if you go to Europe, Europe has found even more functions of a trademark. Um, in addition, they have as a communicative, c- communicative tool and as an investment. But nevertheless, if you look at these, these are very different from that moral right of attribution. These are very different from being credited as an author. There's no overlap here. So to say that that, there's, that, that these are, I think that to make the case that these are similar overstates the case a great deal they have very different functions trademark um, is to you know is and I don't want I hate to say guarantee of source because people think of it as a literal guarantee it's not that it's simply that you as a consumer can go to a sign and say I know that sign I recognize that sign it has brand qualities to me that are meaningful and therefore I can make a judgment based on it that's what that that's what that guarantee of, of constancy is. So, so these to me these are very different roles. Um, and so that's so I want to kind of to you know to me that was sort of a straw man to say that oh it's really just you know sort of a attribution for a company it's really not that at all. Trademark is a very different a very different um, role in society. Um, so, con- concluding. Trademark guarantees identifies and sells the product or service to which it refers. Nothing to do with sort of I create, nothing to do with the act of creation or that I created this, which is what in open source we're looking at when we talk about attribution. We're talking about who created this. Um, so none of these related to the interest that attribution protects. Whoops, <coughs> wrong way. So, so let's, all right, so let's pull this forward now. Okay, great, we've identified what it is. Um, So what are the things, what are the restrictions that we see in um, free and open source software (laughs) licenses? Um, Very commonly, attribution, the requirement that attribution remain, we're all okay with that. It's still an open source license even though we have that restriction on it. Um, You can disclaim warranty, that's all all okay. Uh, convey a copy of the license, license derivative works under the same license. These are all understood to be um, sort of restrictions that exist, but nevertheless we're still okay with these being open source licenses. Um, but but these are qualitatively different from a requirement that you retain the trademark. So the first two, so attribution, um, as we said, it's the right to have your name associated with the work. In, in some countries, there is a cause of action if you remove that attribution. So to say you keep it on there is actually sort of ratifying what the law might say, which is you keep, you keep the authorship on there. Um, allowing the author to avoid liability by disclaiming warranty, well, you know, give the author a break. They, they just, you know, they wrote some free software. So that seems very fair and reasonable. So it's, it's, or it's, a, it's a way for the author to disclaim legal responsibility um, in a way that we, that we think is fair. Or the other ones are to protect the license scheme itself, to protect the ecosystem itself. Um, none of these are limits. It's a, none of these are limits in what way the code itself can be modified. None of these say, you know, you can't change APIs or you can't change functionalities. You can't add classes. Like none of them. None of these say that. None of these address the functionality. They're all sort of extrinsic to the code itself. With an asterisk, the GPL um, v3 and earlier versions of it, there is a requirement that legal notices have to be displayed. But the legal notices, remember, are still the attribution of the warranty, so they're kind of consistent with this. Um, so, so what? Um, so we'll go back to the kind of the GPL v3. What we we can retain legal notices. Um, a trademark is not by any stretch a legal notice, and this is what Jerv was alluding to. A legal notice in the context of a trademark would be, for example, registered in U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. <laughs> <laughs> that's a legal notice. That actually, that's in, the, that's in the statute. So to say you know, powered by NOP Commerce or powered by Sugar Those are not legal notices. Do any lawyers disagree with me on that, that those are legal notices? No, okay, good. Um, second, second I think that's important here. It's not illegal to take off a trademark. There's no cause of action for taking a trademark off of a product and reselling that product. So you don't get in trouble for taking the trademark off. So as in the case of our attribution, where you might get in trouble if you remove that authorship, that's not happening. We're not sort of restating a legal obligation by saying you have to leave the trademark on there. That's not not what's going on here either. Um, So... But and this is the this is the money shot here. Um, so, so by by saying that a trademark may be retained for modified software, you're forcing someone who is modifying that software to choose between two two conditions or comply with both of them. They, if they modify the software, they're going to subvert the guarantee function of trademark. Remember we said that it's sort of this assurance of consistency, assurance of of that what I got the last time is going to be the same thing I got this time. So if you modify the software, but keep the same name on it, you have de- you've deceived consumers. And fundamentally, that's what trademark law is supposed to be about, is not deceiving consumers. So you're p- putting that author who wants to be Um, a good and honest person in the position of keeping a trademark on something that they know is very different from what the original source, what the original project was. And they either have to do that, they're either going to subvert that and sort of misrepresent what the software is because they've modified it, or they're going to breach the license if they take the, if they take the license off. So, they, you put them, so you put them in um, a, a pickle where they're going to have to choose one wrong or the other. I'm either going to subvert trademark law, the intent of trademark law, um, or I'm going to breach my license. And the other option would be to try to avoid, avoid both evils. And in order to do that, you'd have to limit the degree to which you modify the software so that it does not misrepresentation for it to still have that same name. It would, consumers would still be able to get the same expectation that they had from other versions of it. But that means what you've done is you've put some very serious impairments on how much you can modify that software in order for it to not be a misrepresentation by keeping the name on. So in my world, that's not free software. So that's my that's my thesis. Um, final thought, I added this after I had lunch yesterday and I had um, lunch with Matthias, and some other people and I don't know what on earth happened there? <laughs> wow. Um, and, his, and his point was, because he, he had the same, he would run across this too, and he said we need to fix the problem that they're trying to solve. The problem is, how do companies get credit for you know, basically running—you know—say they're running a shopping cart website is not uh, as not commerce does. They want that credit. They want that. Um, and and how do we go about solving that problem for them? That's in a way that's not as offensive to me as this one.
5: Are you taking questions?
4: Uh, yes, because I'm done. So.
5: So, just based on that last comment, um, I mean, one of the reasons why some of us are concerned about these badware licenses is that they were perceived as being kind of um, uh, sneaky attempts to discourage commercial licensees from engaging in modification. So um, if you have to put this big gigantic logo powered by sugar CRM on your on your fork of sugar CRM, you're going to be sort of disinclined if you, at least if you're a commercial enterprise from doing that. So this is so, sort of seen as a sneaky attempt to, to um, take away one of the rights that you're supposed to have free software so there may be a legitimate element to it as well I suppose like a desire for attribution in a kind of yeah. you know a kind of benevolent sense but I think the part of the concern is that this isn't really motivated by it isn't something being done in good faith it's really a, a, a sneaky thing to to um, to discourage modification
4: so can you just elaborate a little more on why it discourages modification why wouldn't I just take the the well because no matter what I do so I want to I want to fork
5: sugar crm and i want to make it like better than sugar crm mm-hmm. but i've had, if i have to put power by sugar crm uh, on everything it's first of all it's sort of inaccurate in a sense because uh, right. it's not that's really it's my, not yeah. powered by Sugar mm-hmm. CRM. Right. second of all it's like that's now my competitor and i have to credit my competitor when i'm trying to build a business um you know uh Taking away your ability to brand your version of the software.
2: Yeah, yeah 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 right yeah yeah so that, that was that's like part of the so concern. Then the question, the first question is before that question is the question is what is the problem they are trying to solve? Because yeah. if the if it turns out the problem they're trying to solve is I would like to discourage competition, then in fact this is not the next question. The yeah, next was, question is how do we tell them to jump in a lake? Yeah, this was a disturbing
5: <laughs> element. When this these licenses first appeared in 2006, 2007, it was very disturbing because many people have the sense that they were justifying it with this you know, benign justification that we want we want credit mm-hmm. when the actual motive was probably something very different. So
4: I mean I have talked to developers where, it, where their, their motive is you know what they see as attribution but they put that on a trademark instead of a name. I guess, um, uh, what was I going to say? The inability to brand. I, I, I mean I guess in a perfect open source world um, I, why do you care whether your name is associated? So you take their Software, you hack it, you fix it, you pretty it up. You still have to have their label label on it. Why is what what harm does that cause you? You've lost goodwill, right? Because you can't. Isn't it the same kind of like loss of attribution problem that you're not getting credit for having done the the you know the good coding that fixed it? Kind of. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's an, maybe an attribution.
5: I. I, I but, but visual logos are. I mean, individual developers aren't going to have individual logos right yeah I mean, they might have a community project well,
4: so yeah community projects do <coughs> very small projects but what, right? I don't I don't know of any
5: community project that's that's had a license that's made use of. it's always commercial entities that make use of it. it's never a project saying hey we're a community project we'll use gplv3 and we'll take advantage of this this um attribution requirement We'll say anyone can use our code and modify it but they have to preserve you know powered by community like civi crm you know you know that preserve our community logo no I've never seen any example of it's always commercial.
4: Yeah. Well, I think, um, so I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I, uh, what I found um, sort of a struggle about it was, I, I, what I felt the struggle was, is anybody trying to find a way to define these licenses as problematic under open source or free software guidelines. Like, that's, that's why it's happening, but it isn't necessarily a violation of the guidelines as far as I could, as far as I could read it. Yeah? I've
3: heard specifically from... Why did you have this in there? Uh, and in almost all of the cases, the answer that we got when they were being honest was we're very afraid that someone is going to take the code that we have spent the large amount of money basically writing from scratch, replace our mark with their mark, and then go into industry selling our work at zero dollars. All the money we spent would be lost because somebody else would be a more effective marketer or salespeople because they won't have to spend the technical money they will spend their money on marketing and sales that we don't have because we're spending all of that to build the software and that's the fear
4: that seems to be Yeah. Driving a lot those y- yeah, I of I, I I Yeah, I thought I saw someone who wanted to retort that. <laughs> Did you want to retort that or you just I mean my retort to that would be why, why you why well, do you have open source? Yeah, right? why, why 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 have open source software, right? That's the fear yeah. Yeah, well, and I think that's I think that's kind of Richard's point is, and what I one of the reasons I really like working in trademarks and open source is it really is a lot of people try to use it as a backdoor way to get back, just like the Nop, the Nop, you know, copyright infringement is illegal, you you know, it's just it's um, to try to backdoor away to grab back what they granted away in the copyright licenses. Yeah. Well, the fear I
5: think it should be more that people will take our code and Introduce bugs and release it, then it would be powered by
3: us. I thought that too, but it wasn't. It was very much someone's going to going to be a competitor for us overnight at the zero cost. Well, and and this
4: is and this is what Stefano was was saying earlier. Was it's very hard to convince people that something bad will happen with it, that you won't want to be associated with. But that's what you have to. That's the argument you have to make. But when you talk to these companies, like they don't. They're not. And the other, thing, I've talked to someone about this, and they said, well, you know, kind of our stuff is so baked that we don't, we don't, we're not worried about bugs. So,
6: I would go back to a statement that Bradley made in his presentation earlier, where he talked about companies co-opting environmental movements so they could say they're green, but they're really yeah. not. Yeah. That's probably the reason these companies have chosen an open source license when they really don't want to give their software right. away. They can say we're open source. Look how cool we are. We're open source. No, we're actually not really. Open source. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: Sure. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, come back to me.
4: <laughs> I think you're the only one. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. I think,
3: I think to your point, it's important to not assume malice when incompetence will serve as well. <laughs> There's plenty of these cases where a well-meaning lawyer who has no
6: comprehension of open source right. can hold by a product manager. Oh, yeah. That's where it's me
4: yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, um, oh! I'm sorry. That's what the signal was before. Yeah. Um, so the comment was that. Uh, uh, oh gosh, you got to state that.
3: Never, never assume malice when incompetence will serve just as well. Yeah.
4: Never assume malice when incompetence will serve just as well. And it was maybe a me- well-meaning lawyer who, um, you know, they're client came to them and said, gee, we really want to do this. And I do, and it is a very difficult argument to make with someone, as Stefano would say, that, you know, it's very difficult to make that argument to say, you know, actually, you really don't want your trademark on it all the time. It's really not in your best interest. It's very hard to convince them of that. Something that's
3: also interesting in the license examples that you chose is that in most of them, the wording is almost verbatim, and I wonder whether
1: there's
4: some cargo of the language
3: that's going on that you can be traced back to
4: Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's, yeah, as uh, the point was that there's cargo culting on the language, absolutely, that's the case. Yeah, three of them, they're similar. And again, in case we missed, in case I wasn't clear on the point, I don't think I don't think the gplv three is a problem. It said legal notices, author attributions, and additional legal notices or something. But it very it never said it never used the word trademark, never used the word logo, never gave implicit permission. It never gives express permission in that license itself to trademarks. That that, that requirement can be um, for trademarks or logos. It, people backdoor it claiming that it's an attribution when it's not really my argument I could, being. It just
5: as a matter of like, like drafting history, the. Sugar power by Sugar CRM was the specific case that that they wanted to allow, for you know, for yeah. it
4: But for, to Bradley's point, that's not the way the language actually came out on the
2: license. It's it's not. That's right. Yeah. Right time, yeah. Right? So, um, I, I thought of what it is, but the the reason that cargo culting is happens is because this got approved before. If we just use the same thing, they can't find any reason to turn it down. I suspect. Yeah. But the, my my question was more going to be is the problem of someone taking your code and basically flogging it as if it were their own specific, it seems to me there's a particular class of software often like server software for the web which particularly wants to use these licenses. Now, is it the case that the business models that surround that type of software are particularly prone to this issue? And if not, what happens in other circumstances? do people take RHEL and scrub all the logos off and sell support services for it? I mean, other people out there making businesses supporting CentOS. If there are, then you know, Rel is still a billion-dollar company. Is it just because they're known to have all the expertise? Um, I mean, you know, how do we how do we argue with people and say, look, this isn't a problem in other areas of software. Why should it be a problem for you? Ah, uh, it's
4: a good question.
3: In these cases, you look at your CRM, you look at these other small things, you look at Zimbra 3D on buyout, they're a reasonably small startup companies. Almost all of these companies are startups. They're not financially solvent. And so they have uh, arguably fears that uh, a strong competitor picking up their code and stripping the logos off of it and selling source in a way, somebody who's better established than they are, could put them out of business. And so there's a fear that, you know, we're taking all these risks already by going to this open source software that this sort of action can be seen as a mitigation risk for them. And arguably, you know, you can rebut that by saying, well, you need to understand what it means to be involved in open source and how you profit and how that risk is to But a lot of these companies, it's the first time they've been involved in the open source in a real way, so they don't have that understanding.
4: Yeah, so just to summarize for purposes of video, Jerry's point was, you know, this, this appears to be in a certain segment of the market, which is sort of, um, it's really, I think... Um, what did you? What, what was how? What, what did you characterize the market as? as a sort of
2: ser- service. Web service. Web software. Web, software, web, ser- web, web services. Web Service
4: side web. Yeah, service Yeah, server side web applications. And how do we convince them? And is, is Red Hat's enterprise Linux an example of why it's okay? Uh, and I think. <laughs> Um, uh, so Spot's point was: these are really just startup companies, kind of naive about it. Not, I mean, honestly, we've all got, a, we all know that this is a huge leap of faith. On the copyright side, it's a huge leap of faith to say, I'm going to give up this proprietary control, but the world's going to be okay because of it, and I'm going to be better because of it. Um, We've all made that leap of faith. I think that it just, on the trademark side, it, it still hasn't happened yet, or there's still as much resistance on that side as there is, you know, as there is on the copyright side. It just really is believing that, you know, you can let go of control and still be successful. Yes. So
1: I, I, I want to comment on the earlier thing, where, where you were talking about these people who mm-hmm. have added these additional terms, mm-hmm. and um, one, of the, one of the things that I know was designed in the GPL v3, I mean less about GPL v3 than you think, but I know this part, which was they had uh, RMS really wanted to add that section where it says if someone puts an additional restriction that contradicts the terms of GPL, mm. downstream has the right to throw it away. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the idea that RMS had was, well, the community will be self-policing because people will throw away these things that are actually not compatible with GPL because it, I guess he figure people might try to yeah. do this with the it. Oh, it's just one of these additional terms. The problem, in it, the problem that I think was not anticipated that I see happening is there's a real bullying effect in that they, they, they frighten people, frighten users, into thinking they, that it really is an addition, it's really permitted by GPL, and they misquote the FSF and all this sort of thing. And I think it's been very challenging for the FSF to deal with the, the, the bullying behavior they didn't really expect yeah. by these people who are adding them. And so so it, it kind of is a, is a flaw and a problem that I don't know how to fix.
5: Yeah, I just I can give you even, it's not just like um, you know bullying of, of, of individual developers or the FSF, um, Red cool. Hat. Red Hat looked at this, um, you know, because I knew that there was that provision in GPLv3 that you can remove unauthorized additional restrictions and, you know, it's like, do you want to really take the risk uh, that your interpretation of GPLv3 is correct? It's, you know, it's easier to keep it in. In one case, what we did was we kept it in. And we had a notice saying, we think this is illegitimate, but we're keeping it in any way just for informational purposes. And and
1: not to (laughs) pronounce, but I floated the idea with FSF, the general discussion, Mm -hmm. that maybe FSF should start publishing thrown away. we like versions we're weak, we're FCF determines, yeah. that's not valid. We'll we'll take the hit of the well, risk and then you can be downstream from FSAF. So the problem yeah, the I, problem
4: I the problem nice I have the problem I have is this language about attribution, about author attribution that was misinterpreted. That was my point about the mis about the about the misinterpretation and analogizing yeah, yeah. that to a trademark. So that you have specific language in there that says, oh, and by the way, we don't consider these to be problematic additional restrictions, one of them being author attribution oh this powered by is equivalent to author attribution that's the part that i want to break to say oh it's not no it's i don't agree different. with you and I'm, yeah
1: I, I, I'm not
5: hey, what i said i would you love you to know. do some pro bono work for FSF to help us draft hey,
4: something that explains hey if you want me to go after these guys i'll
5: go <laughs> 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 yeah the thing is those like sugar serum after the FSF stopped looking at them sugar serum went further and further yeah. and they went well beyond what the license authorizes for yeah. uh, for um the legal notices yeah so they had you know you were required to put the logo in every. Every user interface screen that's not in the license—that was not the intention of the yeah. license—and you know, Brett Smith could testify. It.
4: Well, and actually, if you notice on the NAP Commerce, it was that was just text. There was no logo on there. That was just text, yeah. powered and by. May, and they deliberately
2: picked text to try and avoid right. exactly sort to illegal notice.
4: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. They very deliberately made it text instead of a logo mm-hmm. to avoid and to avoid these earlier arguments about what if we don't have a GUI? What if we, you know, to, to sort of solve those problems that had already been called out as being non-free. Uh, did you have a no, I question? I was just going to say that because I'm
6: cynical, I'm going to bring the malice thing back in. Uh, in Zimbra's case, I would fully expect that the time that they were doing that was when there were, um, let's say, at least billions of dollars in VC money in Silicon Valley for any company that was in any way associated with open source. Mm-hmm. So they had VCs coming and giving them money saying, oh, cool, you're open source. Wait, how are we going to make money with this? Ha! Let's do this. Let's do this magic thing in our license that will make us lots of money. And that, thankfully, has kind of evaporated.
2: Just, oh, how do we fix this, right? Have either the FSF or the OSI ever unblessed licenses?
4: Well, I, that's, a, that's a really, I, I was going to point out the difficulty of
5: that. <laughs> I proposed it for the OSI. Uh, this is before I became an OSI a board member. Um, and actually, so, you know, I may propose it again, but... But it wasn't really well
2: received. I, I think there's a lot of reluctance to admit that a mistake was made in the past. Oh, so the, the reluctance is not due to the fallout. The reluctance is just due to the principle of admitting that you screwed something up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the not, right. not on FSF's side. <laughs> I mean, uh, FSF uh, feels <laughs> like
1: it's created precedent, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's like FSF views itself as a Supreme Court of software freedom, right? For better or worse. And it would be like overturning a Supreme Court decision, which you have to do sometimes. But there is a right. lot of fallout when that happens, and you you, you're, you do it conservatively.
2: Maybe you just need to do it like once for five licenses and never again. If there's like <laughs> five kind of oops licenses, and there, and there was, <laughs> I mean, I Montana
1: t- hinted at it. He knows the story. There, there was an error once upon a time, long, long ago, uh, and i rehearsed the decision. But nobody after it. how long? Um, after a really long time.
2: Really? Yeah. But h- how popular industry. was the license? It's
1: ancient history and it was popular. Uh, I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell
3: you privately. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's being recorded. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were raising your hand. Yeah.
2: So, given that there is precedent
4: in both the FSI and the OSI for revoking lessons, albeit
3: rarely. Uh, there isn't an OSI
2: precedent, Richard was saying, actually. There is. I guess the point. Uh, okay. it's not, it wasn't removed.
3: Mm, it wasn't it, was was under, it wasn't revoked, yeah, it was right. retired, and i shall not speaking to you again.
4: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, well what, is anybody using the Common Public Attribution License? Oh, I I'm Um, Reddit? Yeah, Reddit yeah. Liberated, yeah. liberated their code under that license. Okay. But, uh, the other point is that some of the GPL concerns
3: seem to be arising around the term being misunderstood, and one obvious way in licenses to resolve this is, that term, even if it already has an existing law dictionary definition, to reiterate that in the license text to try and minimize that. I know that uh, some of the licenses like Apache and Mozilla have basically taken that approach of going through and defining clearly these sorts of terms in the license itself, sort of redundancy to say, This is what this means. And possibly, it goes to ours to say, This is what it doesn't
4: so I, I think, um, to me, the GPL v three with the additional terms is the most problematic, but that has the best language to deal with it because because you know SugarCRM, if they're off of that license at this point, you can just anytime someone pops up like this, you can say, "Whoa, that's not that's not an acceptable additional additional term." The, 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 these, um, the Zimber license, the ones that have been approved, I think those are more challenging because those are kind of specifically blessed whereas this other additional term stuff is in a gray area that gives you some latitude to say no, it's that's actually not what we meant <laughs> when we said the that. But it's a GPL <laughs> violation upon itself. Really, so. But if
3: they're writing
1: in yeah.
4: a
3: gray area of the definition of the term legal notice, then by defining the term legal notice,
4: I, let me i think they're just exploiting a misunderstanding i don't think there's does did anyone here think that, that that was a legal notice powered by not by nap commerce does anybody think that's a legal notice well, again
3: yeah, a human who doesn't any beliefs might not understand true is. He says, hey, that's something you can notice.
4: I see it on the Yeah, yeah that, that whole I mean that whole commerce you know, copyright removal tool was sort of laughable in its naivete. So yeah, I, I take your point that
6: this is probably one of those cases where they're taking advantage of the naivete of the customer.
4: Oh, good point. Who knows where the naivete is? Their the owner, their never yeah.
6: Even really understand any of that, and certainly wouldn't be able to spend enough money to try to get them to do anything about
4: it. Well, and I googled, I googled it, and and apparently people do pay for the copyright mo- removal notice, and you know. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: And that's the point is that you hinted a lot at it, but didn't really say. It. Their goal is for you to never use the open source version, and you, you were hinting at that all along. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's the fact of matters. They they don't actually ever want the open source, so-called open source version. Used by anybody anywhere, they want people to be caught using it, doing the wrong thing, or just be like, I don't want to deal with this. So, how much does it cost again? And they well, I'm not even.
4: I don't even know. Maybe it's bad for me to not know more about them. I don't know whether they have a crippled if their open source version is crippled or you know what's going on with it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about them. Do
0: you know how much that costs? Uh, do you know how much it costs? No, I didn't look that far. There might be a good business model in,
4: uh, in selling legal opinions. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> legal opinions why you can take off the power by. Wait, I'm <laughs> trying to recruit to do it for pro bono, and here you're telling her she can go make money. All right, I'll, under, I'll undersell the copyright <laughs> removal notice by offering legal opinions on why you don't need the copyright <laughs> removal <laughs> notice. And actually, any other, any other questions? Sure All right, I think we're out of Cheers. time. Great. Thank you very much, everybody.
1: <laughs> so Karen, I I, uh, I was I was glad that, that somebody was actually talking about some of these questions. Um, I'm I have always been really concerned about some of the uses of particularly the GPLv3 stuff, Mm -hmm. but pretty much any license where you can assert trademark rights and then there's this use of kind of this badgeware business model that's become somewhat common with certain would-be free software projects. And so Pam's really just drawing attention to this manipulative use of trademarks that has happened some in the free software community. Or more open source community. I'll do that
0: again. Oh, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah,
1: but uh, but I think I think that we have to draw attention to this. I uh, Pam Pam and our talk, which we listened to the year before, just about more generally that projects care about their names. Um, I think is correct as well. So so there's this interesting situation with regard to trademarks, which I think is correct. Uh, so projects actually want to defend the name that they have. But on the other hand, it, when it comes to using this manipulative behavior to throw in a badge wear and then say that you're not allowed to change it. And if you do, if you want to change, it, you have to get a proprietary license. That kind of stuff is really disturbing.
0: And what's really interesting is that, as Pam points out, the pricing is really um, uh, is really smart. It's like it, it's so insidious because it's pretty well done. Like it's not so. It's, it's well, the right I mean, well, number. Well done
1: by the from the point of view of the financial. Oh
0: well, it's it's yeah. obviously you know manip- manipulative and exploitative and um, and wrong. But if you're going to do it, that's the way you should. <laughs> like it's just a low enough number.
1: Well, actually, I think the one example she had, I, I actually think that's a that's a. That level, that that level of anomaly price, that level of pricing is anomaly is what I mean. That that they, that basically most of them, it's much higher pricing and they're, and they're doing much bigger, they're kind of get bigger fish to fry. Like a sugar CRM scenario, I think is, is one where I think sugar CRM charges a lot more and has the same kind of business model. And then they just don't care about the small ones. Whereas Mm. that company she was describing kind of wants the little guy to have to pay. And so they built the pricing around something a little guy can just about afford.
0: Right, because they were going for volume.
1: They're going for volume as opposed to big. And and what, and and actually it was good that Pam found this example because it is an opportunity to show how problematic this business model can be. It's, most of these times this business model is used, the, the use, the, the person who's getting mistreated is a relatively large company. And so it's difficult to have sympathy for them, whereas in this case, a small business that just downloaded some software off of SourceForge or wherever it is hosted, right, and then they installed it, they're in a situation where they're much more in a bind because they don't have the resources to switch to a different platform and all that. If they, wanted, if they want to actually negotiate hard, they just sort of have to pay this the basically trademark toll that yeah. comes knocking at their door um it's it's pretty disturbing and it's akin i think it's akin to the proprietary relicensing model that i've talked about this model where you try to catch people doing something that's technically wrong under the license in this case i think the abuse of the terms of of g p l v three are tough one of the things I wanted to bring up uh about this I, I can't actually recall if i brought it up on the day i think i think i didn't get a chance to i think i talked to Pam about it not in the recording um is that be, people don't have feel they have the power of V3 so GPL v3 so gPL v3 has this great clause in it which says that if you put something on that's an additional restriction I
0: think I said some maybe I we haven't yeah. listened to this in a while yeah. we all talked about it afterwards yeah. you for can sure.
1: throw it away the, the the problem that I think is the case is that no one like I would feel confident in doing that I would say oh this is an additional restriction on V3 I can ignore it and throw it away in my redistributions and don't have to abide by it because it's a restriction not an additional requirement and people People have tried to play a lot of games with those permissions versus requirements things in V3. Yes. Originally designed to encourage license compatibility, all good motives, why the FSF put them in there. But people have played games around them. And and the FSF, I think, when it drafted, thought, oh, well, we can just tell people if it's an additional restriction, you can throw it away. The problem is is that people are afraid. They're afraid they're gonna get sued and have to go to a judge to explain that it was an additional restriction, and the judge will have to decide for them whether it was an additional restriction yeah or not. which is
0: why I can't remember if we said it on the day or if we just talked about it afterwards but I was encouraging Pam or some other lawyer to go ahead and write an opinion letter yeah right I Publish don't, know an she, an, unfortunately, I don't yeah. well she She'd probably
1: not have time but
0: well but also it might not be the kind of area she's as interested in yeah. I mean because there's a little bit of like an while I think it's actually good work to do that I think there there might be a you know feeling of like ambulance chasing or something like that from doing it I don't know but it would be really good work I mean it would be a, a service. To be able to, um, to help people avoid this.
1: Well, certainly I've advised people on my own accord, just people who email me to to do it and uh, to throw away additional restrictions that are clearly restrictions. And the thing is they have to take my word for it. And I know that the FSF, when people write to licensing at FSF.org to ask about this question, the FSF says the same thing. That, oh, yes, we think that's an additional restriction. You, in our view, have right to throw it away. But the FSF, this is the interesting thing about publishing a license like the GPL that other people can use. The FSF isn't a party to the dispute. They could be an expert witness as the original licensed drafter, but the licensor is this entity that's doing the nasty business model. So you're in a bind because if you feel that they're going to sue you for, at that point, copyright infringement or in the case Pam's putting forward this copyright plus trademark infringement mix, um, you could be in real trouble.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is where having a lawyer, like having a written opinion from a lawyer is helpful because that's a a real risk management um, approach.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think that what generally happens is people avoid these code bases. Yeah. I, I don't mind it so much that people learn to avoid these ones because that's almost a self-correction. Uh, economists would like that as a kind of marketing self-correction thing. But on the other hand, my concern is that it gives GPL v3 a bad name, in particular because of the badgeware use of gplv 3 Right. Um, and uh, and it was a concern. I, I know it was a concern during v3 drafting to make sure it wasn't a badgeware requirement. But in the end. It's, there's always been this weird thing, and even Pam herself has talked about how projects do care about trademarks. And and just to bring it back to Conservancy, since Karen and I both work there, we we really use the Debian standard in our drafting of trademark licenses. We we don't want any of our member projects to draft a license that Debian would end up having a fight like they had with Mozilla over the trademark. So we try to draft policies that we think actually DFSG. Uh, theorists would find acceptable, because that seems to be the the, the the gold standard with regard to trademark interaction with free software. Right. Because basically, Debian's the most strict. And if you please Debian, you've probably pleased everybody else, as far as what you're allowed to do with the trademarks. Um, and I think we've designed policies that fit what trademark law policies need to do for conservancy at the same time that being the kind that Debian could be happy with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. There's really, uh, it's tough to find that that line, you know, I mean, I, I, we alluded at the beginning of the talk, I do remember when I introduced Pam that, uh, that I alluded to her and I having an identical legal understanding of a particular issue and then coming down with different conclusions because her clients were different. Mm-hmm. And I think that that with trademarks in particular, this is one of those areas where it gets particularly tricky. Because um, finding that the right point between the attention of being able to share as much as possible while still protecting your mark is very difficult. Trademark law was not designed for with free and open source software in mind. Nope. So, um, but I think that uh, I hope you enjoyed the talk. Um, again, uh, I think uh, Pam is a fam- fantastic trademarks lawyer, and um, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll say more about the topic we introduced at the beginning at a later show. Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of Pod Factory and can be found at Podfactory.org, thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. This episode of Free and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 United States license. You can follow FreeAs and Freedom, Bradley, and Karen on Identica, and also read Bradley's and Karen's blogs. Links can be found on the FreeAs and Freedom website, faith.us. That's F-A-I-F.us. Hi, this is Karen. <laughs> that sounds like you started
1: a conference call. We have to redo that. OK. Yeah. It's like- Don't
0: save it for the funny part.